This morning we're going to continue discussing the problem of anger that we've talked about the last few weeks. And it's interesting that Tara brought up, you know, sometimes you just kind of get out of control in your life. And um, the wonderful thing about the Bible is that it offers all kinds of checks and balances and it helps us to, to uh, regain control, so to speak, and, and it offers some ways to do that. Over the past couple of weeks, we've uh, looked into the problem of anger. We've seen that uh, there's a time that we are to be angry. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says that we are to be angry. And uh, God commands us to be angry. And if you call yourself a Christian or someone that loves the Lord, there are times in your life where you have got to be angry at things that are going on in the world today. And if you're not angry about anything, then you're not taking a good look at what's going on around you, nor do you understand the mandate by God to be angry. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's not optional. It's mandatory. Be angry. Uh, So God tells us to be angry, and yet He also does so with a warning. And there's a tag that goes along with it. Be angry, and yet do not sin. So there is a time to be angry, and there is a time not to be angry. There's a time to be angry, and there's a danger with that anger that we can take it to an extreme, and it can turn into sin. And uh, we need to understand that. Um, One of the things I thought we'd do is is take a look very quickly at when is it the right time to be angry. It's important that we, we... Pick up where we left off so we can move ahead to what we're going to do. When is it right to be angry? Well, God mandates that we're, ang- that we're to be angry in these several instances, uh, which we went in detail over two weeks ago. So if you really want to follow through on this, you can pick up a tape or whatever. But we're to be angry when the word and the will of God are deliberately disobeyed by God's people. Not by the world around us, because that's going to happen anyway. There's no, there's no reason for someone who doesn't identify themselves with God as, a, as one of his children, as somebody who loves the Lord. There's no reason for them to be obedient to God, nor is there any ability for them to be obedient because they lack the power to do so. And that doesn't make any sense. But we are to be angry as God's people when we screw up and we mess up. We're to be angry when the will of God and the word of God are deliberately disobeyed by God's people. We're to be angry, and we have a righteous reason, according to God, to be angry. We're to be angry, and when we don't sin, it's okay. And that's that, what we just talked about. We're to be angry when the rights of those that are in the right are taken away. We should be God's ministering agents of peace on the earth. We're to be used by God to right wrong situations, and our world is filled with them. We see a society that's inundated with hate crimes and, re- and, and racial prejudice and economic prejudices and bigotries of all sorts. We see children's rights taken away. We see them being abused. We see the rights of, of women as spouses that are abused in their, in their marriages and their situations. And we have every right, according to God, to be angry. And, we're, and we're, we're commanded to be angry at those things. We're to do something about it. We're not to sit passively on our hands, but to be actively involved in, in trying to do what we can do through the, the power of God to make right the things that are wrong in our world. We should be the most visible people on the face of the earth that are standing up for those who's, who are defenseless before for those who are oppressing them. We have every right to be angry when the rights of those who are in the right are taken away. We have every right to be angry too when Christians use ministry as a form of somehow profiting on their own. We have every right to be angry according to God and we're mandated and commanded to be angry at that. Jesus cast them out of the temple because they were using the house of God and had turned it into a den of robbers, he said. We're to be angry at ministries that manipulate the Word of God and people who use the Word of God, no matter how powerful they are, no matter how many multis, millions of dollars they can generate, no matter how many TV stations they're on or radio stations or whatever, if they are manipulating the Word of God, if they're using it for their own advantages to, to make a profit, we're to stand up and we're to be heard for the manipulation of the Word of God. We're also to be angry as well when man-made rules are more important than people that are in need. We're always to love people. We're to be people who love people. 
We're to be people who care for the needs of people. And when programs and institutions and rules and regulations interfere with that primary responsibility that we're, we're handed before God to meet the needs of people, then we better change the system so that we can get it right with God again. We're to be angry in all these things. We went into great details. But he also warned, be angry and yet do not sin. And so there is a time where it is wrong to be angry. And the first case of it I found as I was going through the book of Genesis is when God confronted Cain. In the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, he said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance so bad? What's your problem? You have no right to be angry at your brother. He did nothing wrong. He did everything right before me. Why are you angry with him? And then he gave this warning. He said, Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to master over you. And you better take control of the situation. You better make it right, or there is going to be a bigger problem ahead in your life. And all of us who are familiar with the story knew that sin did exactly that. And Master Cain, that he didn't take control of the anger in his life. And he went out and he killed his brother. See, God warns that we're to be angry at those things which he is angry at. But we are also to be warned that there is an anger that is wrong before God. And we went into great detail as to what that was. But here's several of them. We're not to be angry because we don't get our own way. And many of us, the only thing that we're angry at is when we don't get our way. We're never to be angry due to us not getting our own way. We're not to be angry when we seek revenge. Never pay, repay evil for evil, Romans 12 tells us. Never try to get even with somebody who has hurt you by doing something that is wrong before God. Anytime that your anger is so great that you're willing to compromise and to do that which is wrong before God, it's wrong to do. We're not to be angry for anything that's not a righteous cause. We just saw what the righteous causes were. We're not to be angry when others are treated better, at least in our own mind. We see somebody getting something better. We see them getting a promotion. We see them getting a raise. We see them making more money, whatever those things are. And there's a certain sense of anger that goes along with that. It's funny, we're, Kevin and I were looking that the NFL publishes a list of everybody's salary in the NFL, and they pass it out so you have it to negotiate when you're negotiating your contract. And a friend of ours was there, and he was in the fourth year of his contract, and so his, his uh, contract was very, very, it, uh, it, it fell far short of anyone else that was in his position in the league that had played the same amount of years that he had played, and is doing a uh, similar type of job. I mean, it wasn't even close. And uh, we just said, don't even look at that. Don't even think about it. Because all it's going to do is it's going to just mess up your head. And that's true. And that's what the, the parable of the day laborers was all about. What do you mean you're making this much? And I worked all day and you've just been working two hours. What's this all about? And there was anger because of that. And yet he did the right thing. His contract expired. Now he has an opportunity to go in and negotiate a new deal. But he lived out his agreement. He never made a fit about it. Never threw a fit about it. Never caused any problems about it. He knew he had made an agreement. And he wanted to do what's right before God. And God honors that. And yet if we concentrate on the other end of it, it could destroy our life. We could be so angry and bitter because we think someone else is being treated better than us. God says you just praise the Lord for every blessing that he gives you. And don't concentrate on what you don't have at the expense of what he's already given you. Anger that is rooted in thinking other people are treated better will destroy your life. We're not to be angry, uh, bitter, resentful, argumentative, speaking evil of other people. Uh, we're not to be angry when we jump to conclusions without checking into the facts. We've already had an opinion and we want to voice it right away so everybody knows what our opinion is. And God says, don't jump to conclusions. Because an anger that's based on jumping to conclusions is always an anger that you end up uh, regretting. And it's always an anger that leads to an apology somewhere along the line. So don't be angry at the things that we're not to be angry at. Now the problem is... 
uh, as I see it. Well, how do you control that? Because each of us are subject to those things, and that's what the warning's all about. Who hasn't gotten angry because we felt somebody was treated better? Who hasn't gotten angry by jumping to conclusions? Who hasn't gotten angry as you consider all these things that are there? I mean, all of us uh, are subject to, to blowing it. And so what we're going to deal with in this, in this session is how do you control it? How do you control the anger that is wrong before God? And let me just share this with you. How do you control the anger that is commanded by God so that it doesn't cross the line and turn into sin? You see what I'm saying? See, we can be righteously angry at those things that God commands us to be angry over and yet still take that to an extreme and cross the line and end up sinning as a result. We can start out doing what's right and end up drastically doing what's wrong. And we've got to be very careful. So anger is a very real thing to every one of us here. So it's not something that applies to the next person. It applies to each of us, which makes it nice because then maybe you all pay attention. And um, so as we look at this, how do you control it? Now, what, what's interesting to me is I have seen several suggestions as to how you control your anger. The world is filled with all kind of neat little tricks on how to control your anger. If you're a person that flies off the handle, it'll give you all kind of little tricks on how to do it. You know, like we talked about where... Um, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson said, when you're angry, you know, count to 10. When you're very angry, count to 100, you know, that type of thing. And we hear psychologists and counselors tell you, if you're angry, you know, you need to, you need to hit something, you know. And it's like, like a chin or, you know. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean, something? What are we talking about? You know, just give something or someone a good pop, you know. And they even have those things, you know, if you've, if you've seen that in counseling sessions where, you know, you have this couple, they go in there and they've got all these frustrations and they're, they're upset with one another and they're trying to communicate and they can't and they're more and more upset about it. And then they hand them these big, long things. Uh, have you seen those? Like big, long baseball bats with, with cushions on them, you know. And, and then they tell them, just beat each other up with them, you'll feel better. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, here, hit each other with pillows or something, you know. But you always make sure you turn the zipper end out, <laughs> you know. So, but it's like, you know, little tricks. You're going to hit each other with a pillow. You want to get the advantage that you can have working for you, you know. And they tell you stuff like this. Hit each other and you'll feel better. I don't know. I've never been hit and felt better about it. Have you? Thanks, I needed that. As you pick yourself up off the ground looking for two or three teeth. Man, I feel much better. Thank you very much. I've never seen anyone say that. So, you know, they give you all these little tricks. Or they tell you stuff like, you know, or, or it's like, I'll blame someone else. Isn't that the way it always is? Why are you so angry? Because she makes me angry. Oh, there, you feel better? It's always someone else's fault. You know, blame someone else. It's not your fault. It can't be your fault. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> No, you know, it's like no one's responsible for anything. You know, it's not, it can't be our fault. It must be someone else's fault. Blame someone else. Or I like this one, you know, take a cold shower. I get angry when it's cold, the water. <laughs> Don't you? It's like, you know, the kids use it all up. Hey, 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 time, not, get, time to get out. You know, it's like, I don't feel better taking a cold shower. And then they tell you, well, take a long walk. I love the story the couple was married 50 years. This is my favorite story. couple married 50 years. They're all sitting around this reception. That, you know, it's like, couple married 50 years, man. I mean, you've got to try to interview this guy and figure out how in the world he did it. Now, I'm talking about a couple being married 50 years to the same spouse. 
Okay? I want to make sure we get this straight so that we're not talking collective cumulative years here. We're talking about a couple being married to one another for 50 years. So they're sitting around and they're asking each other and, these, and a bunch of guys went over to the older guy and said, Hey, buddy, how in the world did you stay married for 50 years? He said, Well, it all started back on our honeymoon. He said, Yeah, when we first got married, I told the missus, I said to her, If you're ever upset about anything, you're ever angry at me about anything, you just tell me and you get it off your chest. He said, and if I'm ever upset and I'm ever angry, I'll just go out and I'll take a nice long walk outside. And he's starting to think about it. And he goes, well, you know, I guess you could say the secret to our marriage is that I have largely led an outdoor life. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, it seems right, you know, it seems good, but, but is it what we need, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it seems like a good idea, but I don't know. I've seen people go take for a walk and come back and they just be as angry or angry. I've seen people count to one, ten, hundred, I'm there. <laughs> you know, it's like, it just doesn't work. So what we need to do is get some real good biblical insight as to how to control anger, because I guarantee you what God says always works if we apply it and if we believe what he says. So number one, we'll just go through them one at a time. Number one, how do you control your anger? Number one, it's very simple, and that is you don't defend it and you don't justify yourself when you're wrong. You know, this sounds so simple, but it's very complicated. And uh, I want to spend a little bit of time explaining this because here's what God says. In Proverbs 20, verse 9, he says, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure and I am clean and without sin? Who can say that? See, the, the, the implication here, the inference is that none of us can say that. I mean, if we went down individually and I just asked you, hey, do you ever make mistakes? The obvious answer is, oh, it's not as obvious as I thought. <laughs> the obvious answer is, of course he does. <laughs> but, you know, yes, we all make mistakes. And that's what God's saying is, who can say, and not only do we all make mistakes, but who can say we can fix our own mistakes, that I can keep my heart right all the time? The obvious answer, according to God, is no one can. So the problem comes when we are confronted with an area that we're wrong in our life. We shouldn't be surprised to be confronted when people tell us, you have a problem in this area. So don't defend yourself. Don't justify your actions. Typically what happens when we're confronted and when we do something wrong, we always have a reason for it. Hey, you know, in this particular case, we're talking about anger. Hey, you know what? You're really out of line. You're out of control. Slow down. I'm not out of control. You're out of control. I'm not out of control. And the only reason I'm out of control is because my dad was just like this and he was like that and he was always out of control and that's why I learned to be out of control. And it worked for him. And you go, wait a minute, don't defend yourself, don't justify what you're doing, and don't blame anybody else. When you are confronted with an area of your life that you're wrong, don't be surprised, number one, to be confronted, because you already know you're not perfect and you can make mistakes. So if someone confronts you and says, in this area of your life, you don't see it, you're making a mistake, don't be so surprised by it. And the second thing, Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. The point is very simple. Let's say you have a problem with anger. And someone comes to you and says, look, you know, you've got a real problem in this area of your life. 
and you don't believe what they say. But two or three or four other friends of yours come and they all get together with you and say, listen, man, you're out of control. Now you've got a choice. Do you believe what they say? Do you respond to what they say? Or do you justify your actions? Do you defend yourself by blaming other people? God says, if you do that, you will never prosper. The point is that we need to confess our sins when we're wrong. And a sin is any violation of what God says is right or wrong. And it's to say, you know what, you're right. I have a problem in that area. And until you admit you have a problem in that area, you'll never get help for that area of your life. And we live in a society of people that don't own up to or nor acknowledge where they fall short. And we shouldn't be surprised that we do because God already says that we do. And we all in unison will say, yeah, you're right, I'm not perfect and I'll screw up. Well, why are you surprised when you're confronted with an error of your life or there's something wrong? Because we don't want to admit it, that's why. We don't want to admit it. We'll say, yeah, I, I know that I'm not perfect, but I know in this area that's not a problem. Then what area of your life is it a problem? Man, that's a good question. I don't think I can think of any. Well, then, gee, let's ask the question again. Who can say that I have kept my heart pure and I'm clean without sin? I guess you could be the first exception in human history. (laughs) Raise your hand. Me? Thank you very much. Now you're guilty of the sin of pride and stupidity. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Stupidity is not a sin. It just is a consequence of it. But... uh, But it's like, you know, who can do it? Well, no one can. And that's what the problem is. You know, it's kind of like, this applies, by the way, to all behavior. If you are confronted and someone says to you, hey, you know what, you lie. Or you're cheating. Or you're stealing. Uh, you know, or, or, you know, whatever. Or you're guilty of immorality. Or you're, you're guilty of uh, jealousy. Or you're guilty of drunkenness. Or you're guilty of drug abuse. Or you're guilty of whatever. If people come to you and they say, this is a problem in your life. You have two choices at that point, don't you? You can say, yeah, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not guilty in that area, and so get out of my face. I don't need any help. The problem with that is that confession is agreeing with the charges. You're right. I'm wrong. I need help. See, that's what accountability is all about. And what Larry said is true. Teaching is one thing, but being able to put that teaching into grassroots level and live it is really the goal of all scriptural instruction. It's one thing to walk out and say, what a great sermon. It's another thing to walk out and say, what must I do about what I just learned? I need to apply this. I need to change in this area of my life. Who needs to hear some more good information? No one needs it. We're inundated. We're an information age. We can turn on TV, CNN, 24 hours a day. We can get every tape and and, uh, Bible study that you ever want and just send away for it. You can have millions of them in your car. You don't need more information. You just need to start doing something with what you've learned. That's what it's all about. I mean, I don't mind sharing all this, but if you ain't going to do anything with it, we're just wasting our time. Hallelujah. So do something with what... In fact, I'm going to call you this week. So, uh, you know, and and that's what accountability is all about. See, accountability is an objective standard. See, we were talking yesterday about this. Here's Here's the problem. Sin is always pictured in Scripture as confusion as darkness, as chaos, as a snare, as an entanglement. And here's the way this works. If you are a Christian and you are guilty of outbursts of anger, Ephesians 4 calls it. If you're guilty of this, and we'll keep it confined to this, but it's, a, it's applicable to anything. If you're guilty of outbursts of anger, the first thing that will happen to you is 
the Spirit of God will convict you of what you just did and what you just said and how you responded to someone else. And God will say, that was wrong. You need to confess that and you need to make that right. Now what happens internally is you end up with this big debate. I wasn't really that wrong. Oh really? It was wrong. The Spirit of God, it was wrong. Now it wasn't that wrong. It was wrong. No, it wasn't wrong and I know why it wasn't wrong. Just give me a little time. It was wrong. No, in fact, now I remember why it was right. I just remembered why it was right. Now, this process could take place in minutes or it could take place over a series of days and weeks and months and years, depending on how stubborn you are. It was, it was, I knew, I know, I, I, I can't control it. That's the way I was raised. That's the way we handle everything. You know, we're Germans, whatever. And uh, just kidding, geez. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. And so then what happens is, is God says, okay, look, I'm not getting anywhere here. You know, the Holy Spirit's convicting you all the time of what you've done is wrong, but we're not getting anywhere here. So what God does in his, in his compassion and his love for one another, you know what he does? He sends people into our faces. See, because we're doing this internal wrestling thing, and then people come and they confront us. And they say, you got a problem with anger in your life. You're out of control, and you need to get some help. And one person will come, another person will come. Soon you know it, you're surrounded by people who are agreeing that you have a problem. Now the way I see sin, if it's so deceptive and it's such an entanglement, it's such a snare, who do you think is in the worst position to see what the problem is? The person, right? It's the the alcoholic, the drug addict, the, the person that's ensnared by what they're doing. They can't see it. But the people around you can see it clearly and can help you. That's why sin is, so, is always easier to see in the life of another person. And we all should learn a lesson from that rather than being critical about it. It's easier for me to see sin in your life than it is for me to see sin in my life. Because that's what sin is. It's deceptive. All right? So now people come to you and you've got this further complication. Now you're confronted by people and you've got the same thing going on. Okay? Do you agree with what was just said or do you continue to justify and defend yourself? And the longer you justify and defend yourself, the worse it gets and the further you get into a situation where the further and further you get from the truth and you have avoided every means that God has to try to get your attention. He's used the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you and to guide you into truth. He's used other believers that come into your life to try to convince you that what's guilty in your life is true. And you've denied every form of uh, warning system that God has. And sometimes that's the danger of sin. Sometimes it takes a long time for us to see that. That's why, look at King David as a great illustration of it. He was not convinced that he was guilty before God until a year later. Until a year later. And you think, but here's a man after God's own heart. Here's a guy that was close to the Lord. Absolutely he was. But the problem was that he was entangled and ensnared by sin, and he didn't see it even in his own life. And what did God do? He brought a person to get in his faith, face. And the prophet said to him, hey, listen, here's the story, blah, 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 blah. And, and, they, and David said, I'm going to kill that guy. He said, you're the guy. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I am the guy. But why didn't God send him to him right away? I'll tell you why. Because he wasn't ready to listen right away. He wasn't willing to see right away. And he wasn't going to be able to get through to him right away. And some of us are just like that. And it's not uncommon as a pattern in Scripture and to be guilty of something in our life, to be confronted by the truth, and yet to continue to deny it. And the most dangerous person in the world to be able to address at that point is the person who is guilty of that sin, who does not see it and is blinded by it. That's why we need objective accountability. That's why we need the standard of the Word of God. And more so than that, that's why we need people that are friends, that are close to us, that love the Lord and hold us accountable to the standard that's objective, and that's the Word of God. 
See, if you don't have friends like that now, you better nurture them now, uh, find them now, get in shepherd groups now, be accountable now, because when you're guilty of sin, it's too late. So what I've done in my life is I've got a list of people, if they confront me and say I'm guilty of something in my life, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe everything that they say. I have to. If they're on agreement and that's what a problem is, they see it better than me and I've got to agree with them that that's true. And I'm going to confess it and agree with it and I'm going to renounce it and I'm going to turn from it and I'm going to look for all the help I can get from the people around me because I'm too close to see the truth. You follow what I'm saying? You see how practical this is? What's an application? Very simply, if you're confronted with sin in your life, you better make sure that the people who confront you are people, number one, that love the Lord, number two, they know the Word of God, number three, they can turn to it and show you exactly what's going on in your life, and then number four is you better throw up your hands and surrender and say, I'm guilty of it and I need help. Because if not, what are you doing? You're justifying and defending your actions and it's too late at that point. We all need accountability. We all need to be accountable. And the reason is very simple, because sin is so deceptive. And there's no person more dangerous to talk to than a person who's justified their own sin. And by the time they're done, they can convince everybody that comes in contact with them that what they're doing is right. Especially a Christian. Because we have enough knowledge of the Word of God that we can manipulate it and use it to deceive people and deceive ourselves into believing that what we're doing is right. God, help us to understand this. You see what I'm saying? That's the problem, isn't it? How do you control anger? Number one, if you've got that problem and you're confronted with it, you just better agree that you've got that problem and you better look for some help. That's what accountability and submission is all about in the Word of God. And that's the purpose is to protect us from ourselves and from the danger of sin. Number two, well, how, do, how else do you deal with it and how do you control it? Very simple. Number two, and that is that we better be kind and we better be tenderhearted and we better be forgiven to one another. The problem that many of us have with, uh, with anger in our life is that, you know, angry people oftentimes are not forgiving people. They're not forgiving people. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, Christ, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We need to forgive one another. Now, it doesn't mean that you put yourself back into the same situation that is dangerous if it is. And it doesn't mean that you pretend like nothing happened if it has. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't enact justice if it needs to be enacted. What forgiveness means basically is just giving it up. Forgiveness means grace. The word forgiveness is grace. It's to be gracious. Be kind, compassionate to one another. Gracious or gracing each other just as God in Christ has graced you. You say, but that person doesn't deserve forgiveness. And you are theologically correct. They don't. They don't deserve forgiveness. Neither do we. But God has graced us with His forgiveness. And so if somebody is upset you and you're angry at them and you're holding this vendetta against them, God says, give it up. They don't deserve to be forgiven. You're right. But neither do you. So be gracious and extend that same grace that God has extended to you. Extend it to the person that has hurt you, upset you, or whatever. Now, be careful now. It doesn't mean you put yourself in the same environment and you continue to be abused if the problem is that or whatever. It just means to be able to give it up and to turn it over to the Lord and to trust Him to do what is right. Not to be vengeful, not to be spiteful, not to be bitter, not to be malice or wrathful and all those things, but just turn it over to the Lord and know that God is just and He'll take care of it. Give it up. Some of us are angry people because we've never learned to extend that same grace to others that have hurt us that God has extended to us through Christ. Give it up. 
Number three, very simple. Speak softly. We need to learn how to speak softly when we're dealing with one another. We're angry, we're upset, and we think that whoever yells the loudest is going to have the most persuasive argument. And most of the time when you start yelling and screaming, you get dumber and dumber. I mean, it's not like you're real articulate. It's like, you know, and then before you know it, you don't know what else to say, so you got to swear, you know, because you're so frustrated, you can't really convince them of what is right or wrong, so you just swear and you shout in their face. Yeah, same to you. Yeah, you too. Yeah, oh, gee, we're getting a lot. We're getting pretty far here, aren't we? So we're talking about your mom, my mom. You know, let's just get down to what we need to be talking about here. You know, I mean, who cares about the rest of that stuff? Speak softly. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Look what it says. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15, 1. We need to learn to speak in non-aggressive manners. We need to learn to speak in a way that we want to identify what the problem is for the purpose of working things through, not just to scream at one another and to yell at each other. Because I'll guarantee you what God says, a harsh answer will stir up anger and it get worse from there. Proverbs 51. Talk, you know, talk nice. Okay? Can you talk nice to each other? That's what really God's saying. Very simple. Talk nice. Number four. I like this one. Proverbs 19.11 says, We need to learn to overlook a transgression. A man's wisdom keeps him patient, keeps him patience, keeps him patience. Well, it keeps him patient. Uh, And it is to his glory to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 19.11. Overlook a transgression. You know what that means? What does it mean? Someone help me here. In the original Hebrew, what do you think this means? I think it means overlook a transgression. Yeah, don't even pay attention to it. Don't even worry about it. Don't dwell on it. Don't look into it. If somebody does something to you, you know what? We need to overlook some things. You know, somebody says something to you. Hey, let me ask something. You ever in a bad mood and you said something to someone that you regretted and you were sorry that you said it? It had nothing to do with them, but you just said it because they happened to call you at that time or stop on by the house. You know, we've all done stupid things like that. And the problem is when somebody says that to you, you leave and you think, what did I do? And you get all wallowy and self-pitoey and then you start like feeling sorry for yourself. And the more you do that, the more angry you get at the person who said whatever they said to you. And then before you know it, this whole thing blows up. You know, God says, hey, you know what? Overlook it. Learn to overlook it. You've had bad days. They're probably having a bad day. They said something. If, they, if they're sorry for it later, they'll apologize. If they're not, they're not. And if they didn't notice it because they're so upset, they're not going to notice it. Just overlook it. Don't worry about it. I'll never forget, we were at a baseball game. Lynn and I had a baseball game. It was a seventh inning stretch. Meantime, this, this couple for seven innings were just like, man, I rent them a room, man. I mean, they were laying all over each other, hugging and kissing. You know, it was obvious that they weren't married. And, um, <laughs> but they were just all over each other, man. I mean, you talk about serious. There was some serious face sucking going on here. And, uh. And it was going on this whole time. And it was like, man, you know, I don't even remember what the score of the game was. I don't even know who was playing. I don't remember if it was baseball or football. All I remember was this couple sitting next to us saying, remember, we used to be like that. No. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but so they were just like all over each other. Well, in the seventh inning, what happened was something happened. I don't know what happened, what it was. But somebody, she, she dropped a beer on this guy. <laughs> Cold shower. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if it was in purpose or not. But, man, I'll tell you what. I had never heard anybody turn they were turned on, so they were turned off. He was turned off and then turned on in a different direction. This guy was livid. He was screaming. He was yelling. He called her every name in the book. Oh, because she dropped a beer on him. It's like, you talk about, oh, but I know nothing like that ever set you people off. Nah, no, it's all been serious stuff. 
And, uh, but she was, I mean, it was like she started crying, he's screaming, he's yelling. I was like, man, that's not how I thought this evening was going to end, huh? But, um, you know, it's kind of like, but what was the deal there? Wow, there's a perfect example, overlook a transgression. So we're laughing about it, right? Well, about six months later. We're on a trip. We're going to Europe. We're going from LAX to Amsterdam. It's a ten and a half hour flight. My wife buys me new jeans to wear on a plane, which was, you know, really the comfortable thing for a midnight flight, too. Nothing like sleeping in those nice, starched up new jeans, huh? But they, you know, but there were people on the plane that knew us and we wanted to look good. As I was walking like this, I was like, <laughs> sitting down. But so anyway, so we're sitting down and, and we're not in the air maybe a half hour, 45 minutes. And they start bringing the old dr- drink wagon down the middle there. And uh, I get a diet seven up and, uh, and Linda gets one too. And we're sitting there and uh, um, I don't know how this happened, but she spilled a whole thing of seven up on new starch jeans. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, it was like, you ever sit in that stuff, man? I was sitting in the seat. Well, first I was sitting like this actually. And uh, sitting like this, and it was all over the place here. And man, those jeans just felt like I didn't think they could get any tighter. And uh, but they did. They were getting tighter and tighter. And it was like, and, and I was like, and I kept thinking about this couple at the baseball game, and what a great illustration it was on how to apply spiritual principles. And uh, so I'm in there going, um. And she was going, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, and I learned, you know what you do? You have to learn to see humor in these things. <laughs> Let me tell you this. She and everybody in our section wasn't having any trouble finding humor in all this. <laughs> I was the only one that tried to dig deep to find it. And there it is right there. Overlook a transgression. What do you got to do? You got to laugh about it. You know? And it was kind of like the tighter they got, the funnier it was. And I started laughing like this. <laughs> but, but it's kind of like, you know, overlook a transgression. Not everything's that important in life. Don't get so upset about things that really don't make much difference. Who left a bike in the driveway again? Oh, no, the world's coming to an end, isn't it, Dad? You know, but that's the kind of stuff. Think about it. Look at that toilet seat's up again. Oh, but, oh sorry about that. That's pretty serious there. Yeah, well, you'd think it's serious if you sat down in the water. Yeah, well, 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 maybe so. Yeah, maybe that's a bad illustration, you know. Yeah, but it woke you up, huh? (laughs) Although I still have never heard any woman getting sucked down the Santa Ana River from falling in the toilet seat. So, you know, I'm not so sure how, I don't know how serious this is, you know. I don't know. Toothpaste not rolled up right. I don't know what your problem is, but God says, you know what? Just overlook it. Overlook it. That's all you got to do. You know, you walk back nice to bed. <laughs> it's going, just want to let you know, you left the seat up again, but that's okay. I'm overlooking it. But, you know, but that's all right. Number five, number five, let's roll here. Don't argue in a bad spirit. 17.4 says, a wicked man listens to evil lips. A liar pays attention to a, ma- a malicious tongue. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife. But every fool is quick to quarrel. Don't argue in a bad spirit. And the reason I put that up there is because many people think that arguing is wrong. Number one, let me, let me make something very clear. Arguing is a scriptural mandate. If we argue about the right thing. And the only thing that the Bible says we're ever to argue about, it says this, but sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, always, always ready, in season and out of season, to give a defense 
or an argument for the hope that is within you. There is only one thing in Scripture we're ever to argue about, and that is the claims of Jesus Christ that we find in the Word of God. But we're to do it in a positive manner, in an enlightening manner, not in a vindictive or malicious or vicious manner, but we're to give out the facts so that people can understand who Jesus is what his mission was here on earth, what he did, why he died, and the, and the proof that he was who he claimed to be, God in human flesh, by the resurrection. That is the argument we're to give, always being ready to give an argument for the hope that it was within us. Not arguing mean things, not arguing about things like the toilet seat and the toothpaste and stuff like that. The only thing we're ever required to argue about is to give a sound defense for the hope that is within us. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if many of us who are arguing about everything else would start arguing about the only thing that we should argue about? in ways that are proper and pleasing to God. Don't argue in a bad spirit. Number six, very simple. Don't become friends with an anger-prone person. The Bible says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. The Bible is very, very clear on warning us that we are who we associate with, we are who we hang out with. Whether we agree with that or not, that's what God says. It says, do not be deceived, for bad company corrupts good morals. And if you are an angry person or prone to anger, the last thing you want to do is have a bunch of, bunch of friends who are just as guilty of that sin as you are. Because, man, I'll tell you what, I've been in places where this guy, next thing you know, man, somebody's yelling at somebody, you're getting in the middle of it. Next thing, man, people are beating each other up, things are flying all over the room. And you go, how in the world did this start? Very simple, because you were hanging out with people that were prone to anger just as you are, and you had the wrong friends. And let me just tell you something, we all better take a good hard look at who we hang out with, because God said it's the most dangerous thing in the world to associate with people who are angry, to associate with people who are immoral, to associate with people who are uh, liars or cheats or thieves or jealous or envious or any of those things, we will learn their ways. That's what the Bible says. Don't be deceived. That's the truth. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Number seven, an effective way to control anger is to pray continually for God's help. Matthew 26, 41 says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The temptation to be angry in a way that's not pleasing to God. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Actually, weak means it is absolutely helpless. Absolutely helpless. And And it's very easy to see that. People that have grown up in angry situations or come from a background where anger was expressed, they vow that they will never be like so and so or so and so. And yet they turn out inevitably just like them. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is helpless to do anything else. Helpless. That's why we need to pray continually for God's help. In every area of life where we're tempted to do what's wrong, anger one of them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is helpless. Pray for God's help. The next time you're angry, rather than take a walk, take a walk into another room and pray for God's help. Pray for God's help. Help me, Lord. And the only way that he's going to do that, and it ties in with the last point, and that is we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, and 25, we'll close on this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there's what we're looking for, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
The point is very simple, and it's the answer to everything that we struggle with in life. I don't know what your problem is, and I don't know what you struggle with. But the answer is the same over and over again, and that is simply this. It is impossible to please God outside of coming into a right relationship with Him by believing in Jesus Christ. Absolutely impossible. You can't do it on your own because your flesh is is helpless. It can't do it. The answer to every problem that we struggle with and every temptation that we fall into is very simple. And that is, number one, God cannot use His Spirit within you unless He resides there. Jesus promised in John 16 when He went away that He'd send a helper or a comforter. In 1 Corinthians 6, He says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians 1, we're told that we're given the Spirit of God as a down payment. That which He has given us, God will take back to Himself as a down payment that we will be with Him. See, the answer to every problem that we have in life is that, number one, we need to believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. We need to believe that He died for our sins. We need to believe that death was sufficient and there's nothing else we could add to it. We need to believe that He rose from the dead, proven that He was who He claimed to be. We need to believe all those things. And if we do, it says, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God now working within us will convict us of sin. The Spirit of God will guide us into all truth, which is in the Word of God, and convince us and convict us of things that are wrong before God. And now as a child of God, we have a choice of whether we're going to be controlled by the Spirit or controlled by our old sin nature that says you haven't changed, but God says that you have. And I believe what He says. So we have a choice. We need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We need to allow God to control us in areas that we thought we could never have any control over or peace over. See, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you what, there's one thing that I've seen in every angry, angry situation. Every angry situation finds an absence of peace. But only the Spirit of God can bring peace into an angry world. Only the Spirit of God can give you control over habits that you had that you never thought could be broken. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Number one, do you know Jesus? Number two, if you do, then walk with Him and be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and its clarity. We just thank you that uh, not only are these steps true of the, the sin of anger, but it's true of everything that you call sin in your word. God, help us to take these practical steps and apply them in our life. God, help us to be accountable to those people who love you and are called by your name, that know your word, that can help us seek the truth. As we're confronted in areas of blindness in our life where sin has pervaded, God, help us to just believe those who you send into our life and to believe your word. God, help us to see what a deceptive thing sin really is. We need to nurture accountability and friendships that will help us in times of trouble. God, we just thank you. You love us enough that you've given us your word to help us in our conduct before you to help us to guide one another in a way that's pleasing to you and not based on our opinions or what we would do or how we feel, but based on what you tell us. God, we just thank you for that. We just thank you more so for your son, Jesus Christ, who you love so much that you sent him into this world to die for our sins, that if we would just believe him, that we'd become children of God to those who believe in his name. We thank you. It's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves, that it's a gift from you so none of us would ever brag before you. We just thank you there's none of us who are righteous and there's nothing we can do and there's nothing that anybody could do but believe in Jesus. God, and we thank you also as we've come to know your son that you've given us your spirit to convict us of sin in our life and to guide us into truth. 
We just thank you that you also, through him, give us the power to live a life that's pleasing to you. God, may we walk in the spirit that you have given us. And we just praise you as you change so many things in our life. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.